Well, uh, you know, I, I listen to a lot of different things. I heard this uh, preacher say one time, I appreciate the applause, you know, don't worry about, you know, applauding anymore. I might as well just maybe walk off, uh, to, walk off the stage now and uh, leave on an end note. I hope you guys applaud at the end just as much as you applauded at the beginning. But I guess, uh, I guess we'll see. And last night was a good time, wasn't it? Um, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. I'm at the young, rightful age of 38. And, uh, you know, getting out and dancing and having a good time with everybody, uh, it's fun. Uh, you know, and as I was kind of preparing for this lesson, and we're talking about dreaming, right? And I'll, I'll be honest, I've really not been the best dreamer for the Lord or for the kingdom. Honestly, I feel like a lot of my walk with God, I've been able to rely on people who are good dreamers and visionary people that uh, like carry. I've kind of always relied on that. Um, and I think over the 20 years of me walking with God and doing my best and trying to uh, serve him and grow the kingdom, I think I've done maybe an injustice of knowing what the dreams are for me, right? What, what are the dreams that God wants of me? I'm a carpenter by trade. A lot of people who know me uh, even closer would say that I'm not a carpenter anymore because I don't work out in the field and I don't. But um, I love the fact uh, that I've been able to be successful at what I do. And over the past couple years, um, I just wonder if the next 20 years I'm going to continue to do what I'm doing or if there's a different dream or a different vision that God wants me to walk down. Last night, being able to see all of you guys dancing, and some of you guys were great at it. You, did, you were on time and on beat, and some of you guys were not. But you did a good job anyway, right? Everybody knows what I'm talking about. What's that called? A Caucasian rhythm disorder or something like that? CR, Caucasian, you guys have heard of it, right? But, but we love you. <laughs> love you. Love you out there dancing. I honestly do. I'm really thankful that whenever I look out at the church and as I get ready to talk about the dream for diversity and God's dream for diversity, I see a great mix and a great blend of the way the kingdom should be. We're going to get into some passages and we're going to look at some stuff um, that I think is going to be a real reflection of what the kingdom should be. But what's important for us to understand is that if we want to see the kingdom become a diverse place where anybody of any ethnicity, any nation, any gender can come in and they can find a family. I grew up uh, in a small town in central Illinois. Uh, you guys, I mean, you, you have no idea. I, I would say it, but it didn't matter because uh, you would, uh, the only thing it had was a, a gas station, a Casey's, and a, and a town square that you drove around, and that was the cool thing to do. But I love that little town. I really do. It taught me a lot. Um, it also, it, it allowed me to experience a lot of different things when it comes to diversity. Not in the sense that there was a lot of diverse people in that town, because there was three of us. <laughs> of 4,000 people, it was me and my two buddies, and we were the only not white people there. Um, but I love that little town. And man, diversity and inclusion and, and all of that is hot topics right now, isn't it? It's hot topics right now. It's hot topics in culture, where you work at. 
where you go to school at. All of those things are being discussed. And by God, I'm not telling you what, if you don't have a, if you don't have a, uh, in a section or a director who oversees diversity and inclusion in your company, shame on you. That's kind of the thought process nowadays. But I'm going to tell you, no matter what's been going on now in the culture that we live in, the dream for a diverse church and a diverse kingdom and a diverse family has been God's vision forever. This is nothing new. What you guys are hearing and what you guys, this is nothing new. Charles Hodge says this, racism is both universal and eternal. Back then, even the Jews had a Samaritan. The Greeks had a barbarian. The Romans had a Jew. Some of you guys might be watching the movie, the, the TV series Chosen. Isn't it cool to be able to watch that and kind of kind of live and experience and see what might have been going on at that time? You can really clearly see a distinction between the Roman Empire and the Jewish people, right? And now you're starting to introduce and you're starting to see the Gentiles. But really, when God is looking down in that situation back then, he's looking at a people that he desperately wants them to know him. Do you think that that's different then to now? Not at all. They dealt with it back then. We deal with it now. And I guarantee you we're going to deal with it in the future. So there's kind of like some parallels that you can pick with that. Like when you look at the chosen and you see uh, the Roman Empire, the parallel would be the Caucasian, right? Be the, Cauca the, the white people. And the Jews would be the outcasts in the Roman Empire there, and the parallel now would maybe be the people who are uh, brown, black, brown. And you see this distinction, and you hear it all the time. Kids, you hear it all the time. I get it. I, you hear it at school. You hear it at work. You hear it in the philosophy of what you guys are looking at on your phones. It's all over the place. But do not let the culture of today dictate what God originally had in store for a plan and a dream for the kingdom of God now. You have to fight against that and you have to understand and you have to really figure out, are you going to believe in the word of God? Are you going to follow the word of God? Or are you going to choose to let culture dictate the dreams that you have instead of God allowing you to be the dreamer that he wants you to be? I think if we can do a few things, I'm going to talk with you guys about five different things. And if you want to, if we want to realize the, the, uh, God's diverse dream, I think number one, you have to remember that God always dreamed of a, of a diverse kingdom. God revealed this dream in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Listen to this passage in scripture. In Isaiah 56, starting in verse six, it says, I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord who serve him and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest and who hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. For the sovereign Lord who brings back the outcasts of Israel says, I will bring others too besides my people. Israel. God wants the Jews and the Gentiles back then. He wants the whites and the blacks and the Hispanics and the Asians now. But do you know how those blacks and those whites and those Hispanics and those Asians find the Lord? It's when you white 
disciples go out and you look for the African-Americans and the Hispanics and the Asians. It's when you African-Americans go and invest in the Caucasians in the Hispanics and the Asians and vice versa for the other two. I'm Asian, by the way. I'm not trying to see how many are there of us in three or four. <laughs> <laughs> Filipinos. Right? Any other? Any others? Ming? I see you. Don't be bashful. We can be proud. <laughs> oh, I love you, buddy. Uh, there's a solid five of us in here. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll take that. You get what I'm saying? Back in the day in the Old Testament, God had a dream to be able to have a kingdom that brought in anybody. At the beginning of that passage, it says, I'll also bless the foreigners who commit themselves. A lot of people look back at the Old Testament and it'll be like, well, God raised up the Jewish people. Well, it wasn't that he raised up that ethnicity. It's that he wanted there to be a distinction between the people who honored him as God and a separation from the others who didn't. It was about the gods that people worshiped. It wasn't about the ethnicity or the place they grew up. He says, I don't care where you're from if you're a foreigner, but if you commit yourself. Man, if you got your Bibles or if you're taking notes, just write, if you commit yourself to the Lord, if you serve him, if you love his name, if you worship him, if you don't desecrate the Sabbath day and the rest, he says that you'll find a place on the holy mountain. That's in the Old Testament. And that dream for a diverse church moves on into the Gospels in John chapter 2. I don't think I have this up on the slides, but write this down. John chapter 2, verse 14 through 16 and 17. You guys know what passage that is? Mm. You guys come to our shallow lesson here after this. John chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. It's talking about when Jesus, man, it's a fits of rage, right? I can be angry. That's when Jesus tipped the tables over. You guys know that passage now, right? That's your justification, you angry people. That's your passage of justification. I can be angry. But do you know why he was really angry? Robert told me this, and I never really knew this and never thought of it. But listening to him talk about this passage, Jesus overturns the tables and he runs out merchants out of the temple, specifically the court of the Gentiles, because they had made uh, a place where the Gentiles were supposed to be able to worship into like this trading post of money making. Now think about that. What was Jesus so angry about? The only time where he had that righteous anger to tip over the tables and run people out with a whip, run you out with a whip. You guys ain't never probably been hit by a whip. Heck, I don't, I've never been hit by a whip, but I've watched a whip been whipped. I guess, is that what you say? I don't know. I've watched it. <laughs> It's terrible. Terrible. Seen it done on cattle and horses. Can you imagine that? But do you understand where that righteous anger came from? That temple was built, and there's kind of like two sections. The inner sanctuary where the Jewish people would be able to go, and then on the outer side would be like a court where the Gentiles could come in, and they can praise and they can worship God as well. Still a little bit of a separation, but everybody be able to come to a temple. What the Jewish people were doing back then is they were taking, they weren't desecrating the inside section, the inner sanctuary of the temple. They were turning the outside courts where the Gentiles, the people who didn't know God, were able to come in and praise and worship God. They were turning that into a marketplace to be able to trade and make money. And Jesus was so mad 
that his chosen people were disgracing the thought process of what was supposed to be done there at that temple to praise God, specifically for the minority people. And Jesus whipped up a core, uh, you know, built, made this whip and literally ran him out. And I wonder sometimes, I wonder sometimes if our church members and our body of Christ here does a good job at making it really hard for the Gentiles of this world to find him. Because you don't care and you have a form of prejudice within you. Because you might not, that other person might not look the same. Might not live in the same neighborhood. Might have a different shade of skin. Might have a little less money. Might talk a little different. Might be handicapped in some way. You see it all the time. I don't care what color you are, you have a prejudice in you. And I don't care what entity out there is trying to create inclusion. You'd better be careful because a lot of the entities out there that are trying to create diversity and inclusion and making it right in a uniform, just playing field, they're creating dissensions and they're creating racism and divisions themselves. You see the power of God and you see the dream of diversity in the Old Testament. You see it in the Gospels and chapter in John. You see it in Matthew. Move into the New Testament. Look, it says Matthew 28, 19. Guys, that's the Great Commission. It says this, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. All nations. So you have to look at it as the Great Commission and the challenge. Whenever you died to yourself and you followed Christ, you said and you made the commitment that you're going to go out into all the nations. And more specifically, the challenge really is for you to get out of your ethnicity and reach the people that are not of the same color of you. The Caucasians in here. Is it hard for you to go up to a Hispanic group of people? Is it hard for you to talk with an African-American crew? You African-Americans and Hispanics, why don't, what's the problem with the Caucasians? Why do you look down on them a little bit? I'll tell T straight. I mean, I, you're not going to, I don't care what color you are. I sit in a lot of different meetings with, with the work that I do, and, and I hear all these people talking about diversity and inclusion, and, and the solutions that they come up with create more problems than fixing the issue at hand. But if they could just understand what it really means to love a person, you look around at the people that are next to you, you look around at the people next to you, I mean, you're talking to a person it's a human, a person that Christ died for. God desires us to go out into all the nations. If you look at Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 43, it says this, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. I love that verse. Now I know how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, all throughout scripture now, it says it's a vision of describing the makeup of the kingdom of heaven. Now listen to this, Revelation 7, 9. It says this, after this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and the people 
uh, and, and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. Vision that. Imagine that. That when the time comes for you to see your Lord, and if you did right by him here in these moments, and he says, good and faithful servant, and you walk into the kingdom and you see a diverse crowd with every language, every color, every nation, every tribe. That's what God wants. He wanted in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, throughout the Gospels, and in Revelation. And he wants it now. But do you know how you get that big crowd in heaven? You got to put in work right here. What are you working towards? You know, I wonder sometimes, what are we working towards? Man, I tell, I mean, I'm excited. I really am excited to be able to see the diversity that we have here. But I know that whenever you get back home, it's often sometimes different. And I want you just to be challenged and cut to the heart to know that God wants you guys to make sure that you are reaching and creating a diverse kingdom, a diverse campus ministry, wherever you're located. Because he wanted it then, and man, he wants it now. And if we want to grab a hold of that diverse dream, you've got to remember, number one, like we talked about, that God wants it. Number two, you have to reject the lens of culture in favor of the lens of Christ. And maybe really you should put, reject the lens of my culture in favor of the lens of Christ. I told you guys that I'm Filipino, right? I wish that there was this, there's this comedian, his name is Joe Coy, and I wish that I could play some of his videos, but I can't because they're terrible videos. He's, shame on him. <laughs> but he gives a good depiction of what the Filipino culture is. Whenever I was starting to date my beautiful bride over there, babe, stand up. All right, stand up, girl. Yes, sir. <laughs> Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> there was once a time whenever I looked away that deserved that. Those years are long gone. <laughs> um, white. Blue-eyed, blonde hair. In the Filipino culture, whenever I was... Uh, some of my mom's friends, one of my mom's friends in particular, kind of jokingly made a comment uh, that uh, we, she was breeding the Filipino out of the family. And <laughs> to me, I kind of chuckle a little bit at that. <laughs> Matt's laughing. I kind of chuckle a little bit at that. But I, you, I wonder how that made her feel. Because I, I know how it made her feel. It didn't make her feel real good and, 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 and welcomed. Even though it came from a sense of a joke. There's something behind that culture that was serious about that. There was something within that statement that was serious about that. That was bothered a little bit that Ashley was going to become my bride. Man, I could care less what those people think or say. Those people. And don't, I didn't mean it like that. But I'm saying... <laughs> I'm saying, when I say those people, take it as it is. I'm literally talking about those people. I don't care what color they are. But there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a culture, right? There's a my culture that you grew up with that you naturally have. 
There's a thought that you naturally have that was instilled in you since birth all the way throughout the time that you were raised that gives you a depiction of how you view people, period. Now in scripture, we're gonna be looking at Acts chapter 10 and there's a situation where Cornelius is going to meet up with Peter. Now Peter uh, had a perception of Cornelius. Now let's look at that a little bit. So Cornelius, number one, Cor Cornelius is kind of like a, it was a pagan word, right? It was a pagan, he was a pagan Roman. Cornelius was a Roman soldier. He was a centurion, a pagan Roman soldier that was a pagan oppressor to the Jewish people that Peter was. So think about this. Peter is, is challenged and commanded to, to go visit Cornelius at a point in time in Acts chapter 10 in this vision. And when he hears about this, he's saying, oh, wait a second, I got to go meet up with this guy who's a Roman, who's a Roman oppressor. Growing up as a Jew with Peter, he's got to be, he's thinking that this person, he's got to avoid this person. They're unclean. So he's, he's going to meet this Roman. He thinks that this, Ro this, this guy is a, is a Roman. He's a Roman pagan oppressor. He's unclean. And why do you think Peter thought that? When you look back at scripture in Acts chapter 10 and you, and you follow it even back, there's really even no trace that Peter would even know who Cornelius is. He just heard a word, his name, and put two and two together. It'd be like me... It'd be like me going up and, say, and someone telling me, hey, RJ, I want you to go meet uh, Juan Martinez. Okay, Juan Martinez. I automatically assume, well, there's probably some Hispanic descent there because of his name. Now, if I got a problem with Hispanics, then I'm already going to go into this situation with some sort of prejudice. And that's exactly where Peter is standing in this moment. He grew up as a Jew, so he naturally had that. And really, it was because Peter didn't really understand or he was ignorant to the dream or the vision that God wanted for a diverse kingdom. So he naturally already has these thoughts that, well, gosh, why do I got to go see this Roman guy? They oppress us. Then he's a centurion, means he's a, he's a, he oversees, he's like a captain or an overseer of a hundred other soldiers in an Italian regiment. So... What I'm saying is, is Peter gets this vision from God to go meet this guy, and he's not really keen on it. You feel me? And that comes from a prejudiced background, him growing up as a Jew. Now, let's, let's move on and let's look. Now, that's Peter's view of Cornelius. What's God's view of Cornelius? Acts chapter 10, verse 1 through 8 says this. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as an Italian regiment. Uh, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of the Lord who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened 
and sent him to Joppa to go find Peter. So it's funny to me, right? Do you hear what's going on here? It's funny to me that Peter gets a vision from God to go see a gentleman named Cornelius and he's got like this skewed prejudiced view of this guy. And now we read here on how God views Cornelius. And what did he say in verse two at the very beginning? Said Cornelius and all of his family were devout and God fearing. It says he was generous to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Why in the world did Peter think this about Cornelius? He never even knew him. Do you understand the connection that we're trying to make here? You guys, you see people out there in the world and they don't know what it means to have a relationship with God. They don't understand, uh, you know, what, what to do even. And you have this pre, you've got this, this preconceived opinion about a person that could be completely wrong. And that's exactly what happened here with Peter. God views him as devout, devout, committed, God-fearing, uh, broadly generous, devoted to prayer, and really an effective leader in his family. One whose good deeds and heart deserve special consideration. It says even a memorial offering to God. You know, and, you know, I was... Robert, you know, Robert mentioned even a side thought in this passage is throughout Acts, only two people in Acts were individually pursued by God. And whenever I heard Robert talking about that, I thought, well, one's got to be the Ethiopian. And I sure didn't realize that it was Cornelius as well. Why did that happen? You guys know that the outburst of Christianity in following God with the Ethiopian eunuch, we're going to look a little bit later on and find out maybe what Cornelius did with his reach. See, this guy Cornelius was one who God gives a dream to. Even though he doesn't know God, he knows God as Lord, even in his limited exposure. So what I'm telling you guys is that if you want to grab a hold of this diverse dream, you got to first understand that God wanted it at the very beginning, and he wants it now. Two, you got to reject this lens of culture that you're living in, and you have to grab a hold of God's lens. Stop viewing people the way that you view people based on the way that you were brought up. That's how you grow a kingdom and you have a kingdom like it said in Isaiah 56 that is full of nations in different tribes. Three, if you want to uh, grab a hold of this dream for diversity in the church, you have to refuse to act in stubborn pride and choose to act in humble obedience. Uh, in Acts chapter 10, it says this, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey in approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being, brought, uh, being let down to the earth by all four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. Now tell me what you would do if all of a sudden you fell into this trance, this dream, and God gives you this vision, he's dropping down this sheet, 
four corners down to the earth and underneath it you see everything. Reptiles, animals, four-footed. And he says, go ahead and eat. Would you really stand there and say, no, no, God, I'm not doing that. I just can't imagine telling in the same sentence, calling out and saying, no, Lord, Lord, my ruler, the person who dictates my actions, my thoughts, my attitudes. I just can't imagine saying Lord in one sentence and then no along with it. Do you hear what I'm saying? And I'm telling you, I wonder sometimes if those of us in here, you say Lord and you might not say no in the next sentence, but your life says it every single day. I don't know a lot of you here, but I know the crew that I roll with pretty well. And I know some of you guys who are my youth kids who say and claim Lord. You come to church and you sing and you praise here. And you say you want to lift up your name, but I know everything. I don't know. I know what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. And it says no to him. I think you had better be careful to speak and say the word Lord and then live the way that some of you guys do. I'm talking to my kids in my youth ministry. Some of you campus kids have come through my youth ministry. I know some of you guys, and I know what some of you guys do. You come to all the events. You go to all the family vacations. You do CMU. You come to youth group. You do this, that, and the other. But man, you say no to him in every thought and every action throughout the day. You better be careful doing that. You better watch out and make sure that you're not the one saying no to the Lord. And why does God show Peter this vision three times? I think it's because he knows that he's prideful and stubborn. Kind of like some of you. Maybe I should say us, Ash. I don't know. Maybe I should say us. Including me, I'm saying not. I can be prideful and I can be stubborn too. And sometimes God has to talk to me multiple times to get me to do what he wants but you better be careful doing that. This is especially true of the religious. Um, there's a movie, it's Princess Bride, and, uh, and, 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 you know, it's like, you know, you say Lord, it's like, well, I don't know if you really know what the word Lord is actually means, you know? You say the word, but I don't know that you know what it means. It's, it, fits, it fits when it comes to our walk with God. Your walk with God should be something that is, it's every bit of you. It changes your words, it changes your thoughts, it changes the way that you love. It changes the way that you serve. God shouldn't have to tell you three or four times, and neither should your leaders, to do what's right. To reach out to people, to lose this stubborn mentality and embrace humility so that God can grow our ministries the way that he wants it. Peter and Cornelius, they had a vision, but Cornelius was instantly obedient. You remember talking about that in that passage? It said he had that vision from God. The angel came down. And what did he do right afterwards? He grabbed two servants, a devout soldier, and he said, go get Peter. Be like, man, um... Jackson, Ryan, I really want uh, my amino that's up in my room. Go get it. 
why are you standing, sitting there still? And you're still sitting there. I guess they don't get it, right? <laughs> That's literally what's happening here. Cornelius didn't do that. His people followed him. They went and they got up and they did exactly what they were told. Peter here, the Jew, the Roman, remember that, the Roman oppressor that, that, that Peter thought that about Cornelius actually turned out to be the devout listener when Peter had to be told a few times. The good news is that Peter finally gets it. In Acts chapter 10, later on, verse 17, it says this, while Peter was wandering, <clears throat> wandering around and uh, wondering uh, about what the meaning of the vision was, the men sent Cornelius to find out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, uh, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit told him, uh, the Spirit told him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go down uh, to them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish, Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Right there lets you know that Peter finally got the message because this Jewish person sees these Roman oppressors and he says, come into my house. A moment, a moment where something shifted in the thought process of Peter and realized that no matter who this, these people are, I'm going to follow the Lord and I'm going to reach them. And he lets these people in. Then it goes on to say this. The next day, Peter started out, started out with them. And some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up, stand up, he said, I'm only a man myself. Man, that's a, that's a special moment in the scripture there. When Peter goes to see Cornelius and Peter walks in, what does this Roman oppressor guard over a hundred people, comes in to the people that he oppresses and he bows down before him. It's like, it's like the owner bowing at the foot of a slave. That's the parallel here. And Peter looks at him and says, hey, Cornelius, just stand up. I'm just a man too. It's like they became on a level playing field. And I'm telling you, church, I'm telling you, kids, that if you guys can learn to view people the way God views people through that lens, if you can make sure that you don't have some pride in this thought process that you're better than another group of people, another color of people, another ethnicity of people, we can have that kingdom that God mentioned back in Isaiah. Verse 27 says, says this, while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against the law for a Jew to associate and visit with a Gentile, but God has shown me 
that I should not call anyone impure and unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask you why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in the house praying at this hour uh, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He is a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner, who lives, in, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good for you to come. Now we all here in the presence of God are to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. If you'll take a humble position in your walk with God, the people that you look out there, all of a sudden, you see them differently. You see them as lost. You see them as broken. But, but if you constantly have this view and this thought that you might be better or that they're a little less or they're not, they're not a part of, they wouldn't fit in or they'd be difficult to work with or whatever it is, if you can push that pride out like Peter ended up having to do, then we again, again, we can grab a hold of this vision of diversity. The fourth thing that if you want to grab a hold of that, that vision of diversity is I recast my vision and I call others to do the same. What Peter once spoke against, he became a spokesman for. And when you all died under the water through baptism, you should have come up a new person being a spokesperson for Christ. No matter where you're at, no matter what color of people, it doesn't matter but you also call others to do the same. In Acts chapter 10, verse 34, it says this. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is the Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John, that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on the cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witness whom God had already chosen by, chosen by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God anointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins in his name. Christ died on the cross, not just for you, but for everybody. And your task is to find the everybody. To tell the everybody. In verse 44, it says this, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all, the herd, uh, on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who came with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out onto the Gentiles 
For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said this, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Imagine that, church. That when you read that passage of scripture... And you, and you see the miraculous things that God has done within your life, and you find out that someone wants to surrender their life to Christ, can you imagine one of us in here saying, I'm not quite sure they should be able to be baptized and surrender their life to Christ because they're Asian. Can you imagine that? But in a sense, when you read that passage, you see that for some reason, Peter had to make a distinguishing call out to say, why in the world would we stop them? But your task is to find the everybody, to get them to know that Jesus died on the cross for them and for them to surrender their life to him. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, Christ's love has moved me to such extremes. His, his love has the first and last word in everything we do. Our firm decision is to work from this focused center. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life. A resurrection life. A far better life than people ever lived on their own. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once and, going and got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Man, message paraphrase does a good job at just kind of laying it out there. Man, we looked at people wrong and we don't want to do that anymore. Diversity has blessed my life immensely. Man, coming to things like this and having people in my life like Carrie, who has taught me so much, like Juan, who I stand up here, who's taught me so much, who's blessed my life in, a, in an amazing way. If it wasn't for the people of God, I'm just so tired of hearing this, this white people, black people. I'm just so tired of it. You guys should be tired of it too, not because I'm bothered, because your father in heaven is when you distinguish people by where they live or how they look. And man, I just pray that our ministries never fall into that boat. But the great, the great commission that you accepted when you surrendered your life to Christ challenges you to go find people of another ethnicity. How well do you do with that? I wonder if I were to have, if I had the time to have everybody stand up right here and go find a new seat to sit in, I wonder who would congregate together. I was thinking about doing that, and I thought, eh, that might be a disaster. <clears throat> I wonder if the African-American people would sit together, and white people would sit together, or would everybody just kind of sit together. I think we got a pretty good mix of, of what would happen. I got a pretty good idea. I know most of you. I know your hearts. I know that it's willing and that you love people. But I'm going to tell you, church, we are not like the world. In this high moment of standing here, it's not realistic of what you find out there in the world. And you've got to fight against it. I'm going to ask a couple people to come up here.
and share a little bit about um, what what a what has benefited their life and their walk with God. Juan, go ahead and come up here. So Juan is um, Juan is my best friend. Juan was my Juan was my best man in my wedding. Um, and he's going to share just a, just a little bit about how diversity has helped him in his walk with God. Yeah, good stuff, uh, RJ, and I, and I appreciate it a lot. And it definitely is something that's very, uh, it's very, it's a thing right now, right? Race, and it's really plagued our country, and it's made a lot of, it's actually, it's been, it's been kind of hard to hear and see, but I believe God's going to work through this. And I think that the church is a place where we can show the example of what God can do. But to that, my name is Juan Black. I've uh, been a Christian for 25 years and uh, spent time in a youth group. Actually, I became a Christian in the youth group back in the old church where we all were together in just one church. And uh, I spent 12 years in campus. So I'm old and I'm like looking at you guys and dancing last night and I was like tired just watching. Uh, but at one but time, at one time, I used to be out there with you all uh, showing you all how to do it, but that was... Uh, I retired, so. Uh, but RJ talked about diversity, diversity and inclusion. And one thing that I appreciate immensely, we, we've always been a diverse church. When I look at from long ago and even currently today, we've always been a church that's been full of people, regardless of their race. They, they, we were one big church, and God has blessed us tremendously in that way. So that, that's not necessarily something that's new, but I think that's something that, like, you know, RJ said, has been something that was, was God's design. And I'm going to talk about a person, and that was the assignment. Talk about a person where you've seen them show that example. And, of course, the person I'm going to talk about is Kerry, which is interesting because most people would say that he is not white. He is a black dude with white skin. Uh, and some people, now I'm say it. <laughs> and some might even actually say the same about me, vice versa. But we, uh, we won't talk about that. But what, what's cool is Kerry was someone who dreamed for me, and I, and I will say that this is not everybody's situation. I think sometimes it's easy to think, well, you know, if you're in the black race or the black community, that this is your situation. And to be, to be blunt, um, a lot of that is not the case for a lot of people. But in my particular situation, I was in a down and out situation. I was a, you know, when I first met Carrie, I was living in a foster home with no dad, no mom, nobody to teach me how to be a dad, and in a foster family that frankly wasn't a very good one. And so I met Carrie as a, as a high schooler, and, and, you know, a lot of the impact was when I was in campus. But what was cool is Carrie didn't see me any differently. Carrie spent a lot of time, and I wish I had the picture I could have thought about this. Uh, if you look at Carrie's friends growing up, he was, he was the diversity and inclusion project because <laughs> they were all not like him. And uh, so Carrie spent time, and he knew, and he knew the hurts, and he knew the struggles. And honestly, my, my situation was not good. And when I look at that and I got into campus, it was so amazing to see that Kerry didn't look at it from a perspective of, uh, well, I'm looking down on him. He looked, at, he looked at it in a perspective of dreaming. And he dreamed for what I could be, what kind of family I could be. And there's honestly been no one more instrumental in helping to encourage me to be a better dad. I mean, as far as being a parent, and now, you know, you fast forward, you know, I'm not that, you know, kid who was in a foster home who had no family, who had nothing. God has blessed my life tremendously, and I have an amazing wife, and I have an amazing, you know, set of kids, and I have amazing friends, and that is something that I am blessed from because when I, when I came into a situation, 
I wasn't a project. I never felt like I was a project. You know, I never felt like I was something that, someone that was beneath anyone. I felt right alongside with everyone and everything else that was going on. That's the kind of church that God wants. That's the kind of church that, that we've seen bless people's lives. And that's a part of God's kingdom. And, and we need to continue that in all of our churches, whether you're in the deep south, whether you're, you know, wherever, whatever your situation, God's, God's mandate is, is more beneficial and, and, and actually better than any cultural norm that you're going to see. So I appreciate that. Thanks, brother. Um, I, yeah, I could talk about Juan a lot. Cynthia, come on up here. I tell you too, if I had time, if I had time, I'd pull you all in in, in a row, sit down right here at the feet, and we'd tell all kinds of good stories uh, about all of us. Cynthia, I love you, girl. You know, Ashley loves you too. Um, tell us a little bit about um, how diversity has helped you in your walk with God. Does it work? No? Yep, yep. It works? Okay, cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so my name is Cynthia. Um, I go from the Annabelle Church. Woo! <laughs> um, I've been to ministry, I think, three years now. Um, so, yeah, I grew, up, I grew up in Italy. Oh, yeah, I grew up in Italy, and um, my family are from Africa. And um, with, like, my parents, um, it was, like, a little bit different because... They always, like, taught me to stuck with, like, our people, like, only stuck with Africans, only stuck with Italian people, don't go outside your race. And that was, like, my mentality for, like, the, the longest time. Uh, and then I met, they're not here, unfortunately. Alex is in adult ministry. Uh, and then Natalia is not here, but she's with her baby. Um, I met Alex and Natalia, and they... I was a difficult person, <laughs> and I didn't think, like, they're white. <laughs> uh, Alex is American, and Natalia's from Brazil. And I really didn't think, like, two white girls would come and just, like, talk to me and just love me and um, just, like, show me something different. Um, but, yeah, I was, like I said, I was a very difficult person to be around. I didn't want, I didn't commit, like, easily. It took me a long time. <laughs> But they showed that consistency and didn't really look at my race or, yes, I had a language barrier and most, most of the time we were like, it was hard to like <laughs> communicate. Uh, also, uh, Natalia speaking uh, Portuguese. Uh, but um, they just showed me that they, they dreamed for me and they wanted me to have like a relationship with God mm -hmm. and just, um, they just didn't look like, at my race or anything like that, and which was weird because I'm like, like I was saying, like I was always stuck with like just hanging out with like Africans or with trying to find an Italian group. Like I was like literally looking through like Facebook, let me find some <laughs> Italians, but there's no Italians here. <laughs> They're all in New York and New Jersey, I guess. Yeah. But uh, so yeah, and but through that, I I yeah got baptized and. Now, um, one of the things I'm so grateful for is, like, I get to do the same thing. Um, yep. I get to reach out to, like, people that are different than mm -hmm. me and um, different cultures, different backgrounds. And, yeah, that's all. <laughs> Thank you so much. Great job. Great job. All right, all right. Thank you, Cynthia. Um, hey, guys, if I talked with you guys about coming up here and I don't call you up because we're running short on time, I love you. You got a great story. You just might not tell it right now, okay? 
Um, Nate, Nate Shedd, where you at? Come on up, come on up. Why are you walking so slow? It's like you hurt your foot or something. So Nate, um, I remember vividly the family vacation that we met, Nate. You were over there with your crew of Alabama people. Um, still got the Alabama pride. We'll, we'll change you someday. But um, <laughs> Nate, I was fortunate to, that Nate moved in, you know, to our area with our church, you know, um, with Mackie and his family. And he's been a blessing ever since. Tell me a little bit about how diversity has helped you in your life. I guess you need that. Yeah. <clears throat> well, like you said, I'm Nate. I, uh, I moved here from Alabama when I was 16 years old. And I've been a Christian for about four years, just about yeah, right. Uh, right when I first moved here, I got uh, right before I moved here, I became a Christian, and I grew up in church my whole life, and had a lot, I've had a lot of people come in, come into my life, come out of my life. My dad was the campus minister down there in Alabama, so I mean, I was the campus kid that stayed up real late, and I think something that always stuck out to me that always was there for me was my man Dimitri. Stand up, Meech. Stand up, Meech. Hey. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. for you, brother. I've known Dimitri since, I don't know, seven years old, you know? And I, I remember growing up looking at Dimitri and being like, man, I want to be as fast as Dimitri. I want to. <laughs> I want to jump as high as Dimitri. <laughs> I want to dance like Dimitri. <laughs> and I, I remember looking back at like our cross sets down in Alabama. We'd have like this, uh, our college room and he'd be up there. We'd all be playing basketball in the gym and He'd be up in, in the college room doing Dance Central by himself for who knows why. <laughs> and then I asked my parents for Dance Central so I could go and dance by myself. <laughs> um, and as I got older, I, although I still want to be fast as Dimitri, you know, uh, but as I got older, I looked at, I got to see Dimitri's life and I wanted to live like Dimitri. I wanted to. I wanted to love God like Dimitri, and I wanted to love people like Dimitri. And uh, I mean, outside of my parents, like he's been that guy for me ever since I was seven years old. I remember you training me to be fast, you know, running track, <laughs> taking me to Alabama A&M, Alabama A&M University's campus, which is like no white people and I was like I was like a 12 year old kid we walked up in the gym and I, I'm sure you looked like a weirdo you know <laughs> walking <laughs> who's this white kid coming in <laughs> but yeah Dimitri's played a humongous role in my life and still till to this day I'm so grateful that he didn't stay in Alabama uh, that he moved here and is able to pour into all these the youth you know that's where I came to know Jesus is the the youth ministry so yeah Love you, man. I appreciate you a lot.
Okay. Um, as I wish I'd, I wish I had more time to be able to pull up everybody. Um, all of you have a story. Um, ladies, I'm, I apologize. I was going to have Alyssa come up here and share uh, how uh, other young ladies of uh, different ethnicities. Uh, Alyssa, where are you at? I was going to have you share. She has a great story as well of, of uh, people who have helped her. Uh, and it just so happens that those people are of a different race that only care about the Lord first. Sabrina, raise your hand. I was going to have you come up <clears throat> and share the same thing. Um, guys, grab a hold of the dream that God wants. The fifth thing that I'll tell you is this. You rejoice in the blessing that diversity brings. And I just leave you with that. Rejoice in the blessing that diversity brings. Um, if we were just an all-white church or an all-black church or an all-Hispanic church or an all-Asian church, I just could not imagine seeing God work aggressively within that. And I'm not, I, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say that. But I know for a fact that God's kingdom reaches all nations because he claims it in his spoken word. And you guys need to learn to make sure you do the same and see people for their hurts, not what they look like. Let's pray. Father, I want to come to you this morning. I want to pray that you, um, uh, that you help to bring clarity to anything that I muddied. Um, Father, I love everybody here. I really do. I know that you got great plans in store for our churches and for our ministries, Father, and I pray that I can see those things come true in the years to come. Father, um, you've done great and amazing things, and you want to see uh, great and amazing things happen, Father, and I really do think that the hard work and the love and the hearts of the people in this room is going to give us the best chance to be able to see that. God, bless their work, uh, move within the hearts of the people here, uh, and help us to know that your dreams for a diverse kingdom started at the beginning. It needs to be uh, lived out now and experienced in the future, Father. So help us to have our eyes set on you and not in the culture that we live in, but to rejoice in the blessings that diversity brings whenever you get to have friends and family from everywhere. We love you. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.